Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is brought to us by our friends at Tricentis. So thanks for their sponsorship. Um, but, you know, they sponsor, but we pick the topics, we pick the guests, and we're, we, we have a lot of fun here talking about relevant topics around DevOps. Uh, today's topics Today's topic centers around DevOps and digital transformation at the C-level. And let me introduce you to our panel. First of all, we have Louise McCarthy. And Louise, I'm going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself, a little background for our audience. Yes, thank you, Alan. And hi, everybody. I'm Louise McCarthy. Um, my background um, more recently is doing um, large, complex digital transformations, mainly for the financial services. Um, so and mainly through the, the eyes of the business rather than the technology, although I have held roles as CFO and I've held roles COO and CIO as well. Excellent. Uh, next, we have Mark Settle. Mark, welcome. So I am a seven-time CIO, and I most recently left Okta about a year ago and have been advising startup companies since then. I'm based here in Silicon Valley, and probably my, my encounters with DevOps are focused on supporting DevOps teams in terms of infrastructure requirements that they have, um, and also introducing the concept into actually business application support within a conventional kind of MIT group. Thank you, and welcome. And then... Evelyn Orlich. Evelyn, please. Yes, hello there. Uh, Evelyn Orlich. I'm the Chief Research Director at the DevOps Institute. Um, before that, I spent 13 years as Vice President at Forrester Research, studying a variety of topics, and DevOps, of course, was one of them, um, working with many enterprises and C-levels and others to explore the challenges and the fun of DevOps. Very good. Never heard anyone talk about the fun of DevOps, but I'm looking forward to discussing that. And then last but not least, of course, is my co-host here on DevOps Unbound, Mitch Ashley of Accelerated Strategies Group. Mitchell. Great. Good to be here. I'm Mitch Ashley, CEO of Accelerated Strategies. We focus on digital transformation, DevOps, uh, cloud native, and cybersecurity. I'm also a former CIO, not nearly as experienced as Mark is, but um, have led transformations and also implementation of DevOps, as well as been a CTO, CEO of product companies. So I've lived on both sides of DevOps. Great. What a great panel we have today. I'm really looking forward to it. So we're talking about DevOps at the C-level. As I mentioned to you all before we started today's show, you know, our friend Gary Groover, wrote a book, Leading the Transformation. He wrote several books. One of them was Leading the Transformation. And Gary is a big proponent of what he calls the top-down approach to DevOps and digital transformation. And in, in Gary's view, and I'm not saying right or wrong, in Gary's view, you cannot have a successful digital transformation or DevOps transformation without, <coughs> excuse me, sponsorship, support, air cover, if you will, from the C-level, including the CIO or CTO, depending on the organization, CEO, et cetera. Let, let's start there. Is, is C-level support absolutely positively required to have a successful transformation? Uh, can, Anybody? Do you want to go first, Alan? Um, sure. I mean, I, 
I would actually see I, my recent transfer. I've done about five or six transformations and tried all sorts of ways to actually um, get them going. Um, there's always blockers on the way, and it's usually the blockers that slows the whole problem down. And the blockers either come from the ground up, from the employees or the people that run the processes today, or you get the blockers in terms of the C-level suite people who tend to want to own things, and it's a bit of ego that actually blocks things going that way. And the most recent um, transformation was successfully owned by the C-suite. So they drove it, they owned it, they were the stakeholders. But the most of the engagement actually came from the employees, from the process owners. So we run the whole transformation from the process owners actually owning and identifying where the transformation needs to take place. And that really made it hugely successful because you didn't have people feeling, feeling for their own jobs. Because with digital transformation, it always means or often means that there's going to be um, heads that, that, that unfortunately are lost in various areas of the transformation, in the transformation, but mainly doing transactional type work. But if it's a transactional people that are running the processes, they highlight their pain points and then we work with them to actually change those pain points into something positive. So I would arguably say both from top down. But also, if you don't do it with the engagement of the people running the processes today, it won't it won't work. So I'll chime in. You know, I think I have the same answer, but and state in a slightly different way. I think the way the question gets asked, it, it sounds as if you know the CTO or the CIO is going to come down from the mountain um, with the DevOps tablets and <clears throat> then, then mass the employees and team members. <laughs> you know, yeah, and verily, you know, I've been converted and now it's your turn. Like, we're all going to go, go do this together. Um, <laughs> most of the time that doesn't work. I mean, I, I mean, for one person to come in, yeah, well, take an example where uh, a startup company here that's been reasonably successful, maybe they get up to a product team of, I don't, I don't know, engineering team of 500 people or something like that. They hire a new chief product officer or a chief technology officer who says, you know, we're going to do this completely different. I have a vision, etc. Well, they're going to do it, but you know, it's that's going to be a, a slog to kind of get there. But what I, I have seen be more successful is almost like you know, um, what's the what's the right term in in a battle when you, you send the, the 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 beach guy on the, the beach master, right? That's like moving people around. So you really want like a almost like a fifth column movement down at the grassroots level of people who are genuinely interested in exploring these new ways of doing business. And then I think what the C-level person adds are the, you know, the methodological resources to drive scale. And, and so many DevOps initiatives fail because they sound interesting, they sound contemporary. People think, well, this must, other people do it, so it must be you know, beneficial. But then after like 18 months, it's, everybody scratches their head, where are the benefits? Like we thought this was gonna be transformational that's not, you know, I mean, the, the technical people are having fun. They've developed this new terminology, you know, et cetera. And if you scratch below the surface, well, guess what? You're doing DevOps in like five different ways because the little seed groups have all picked the tool they wanted and, you know, decided that they're going to have a daily scrum twice a week or, you know, whatever, whatever. They've got their own little process set up. And, and then people say like, where's, where's the benefit? Like this was supposed to be transformational. So at some point in that, in the early stage of the journey, it's needed to drive drive scale and that level of endorsement. But I think it can almost backfire if it's if it's launched like from the brain of Mark Settle that this you know yay and barely I want to lead you to the promised land. 
sort of a Charlton Heston beard I'm picturing <laughs> on you there, Mark. <coughs> Evelyn, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I actually would say um, it should be outcome-driven DevOps. It doesn't really matter if it is from the sea level, from the individual, from the inside out, from the outside in, from the top to the bottom, the bottom to the top, from the middle to the whatever. It needs to be outside. It needs to be outcome-driven. What I mean by that is only metrics will make us change. Just like I drive through my town here. This is a, a, a little analogy. I drive through my town here. They installed one of those uh, things where they measure the um, the speed, and if you go over 50 kmh, you get a ticket. Well, um, my husband, even so that that thing has been there for two years, my husband manages to get a ticket every three months. But what he does is he intercepts the email, the mail, and then he doesn't tell me that he has gotten that ticket. So now what I have done to stop those 15 euro tickets every two months, because, you know, if you add it up, you can go for a nice dinner. I am going to go to the mail before he gets home. So I see how many tickets he gets and he gets little mesh, he gets little, uh, you know, the lines and that metric mm -hmm. is on the refrigerator. I should have brought a picture of it. And that has actually reduced how he is driving through town. And so if you go back to the DevOps teams and the digital transformation and you ask the individuals at C level or VP level or practitioner level, um, how successful have you been or what's the challenges around? It's easy to point to somebody, but it, data, if you have data, which shows where you are and it maps to where you want to go and you share that amongst all these different individuals, there is no argument. It's not the, the guy with the long beard as Mark would come in or it is not somebody at the lowest level who could argue with that. We could, set, we could huddle around it and figure it out. What do we need to do? So I think it's not really about who, of course we do need some individuals who pays for it. We need some kind of a fund and budget and all of that. But I really think it's outcome driven rather than organizational level driven. Can I just chime in on that one too? So I, I would agree hundred percent, you know, outside of maybe the CTO or CPO or IT organization, bringing, bringing evidence of improved sophistication, uh, operational metrics around the process to almost any other C-level executive I hate to say, they don't really care. You know, it doesn't, the CFO, if, if you show that, I don't know, you know, the Jira throughput, the story, whatever, you know, it's like, I in one of my books, it's like reading a Bible to the cat. You know, the cat will look at you and feign interest, but have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And that's sort of, once you get outside the technical functions, everybody, that's your job. Like, you know, that's the way, you know, you figure out the way work needs to get done. And again, to your point, um, it's more of a business outcome, you know, like, are we actually getting customer request enhancements through in greater quantity? Were we able to respond to a competitor's new feature set faster than we did at their last release cycle or, you know, whatever those things are, that's what people want to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no, and I tell you, at the end of the day, the outcomes is aligned to the strategy of the organization. So you've got to be doing a transformation for a reason. And there's usually three or four reasons why you're doing a transformation. It's around, the customer journey, so the customer needs to improve the satisfaction. You've got to cut your costs. You're trying to grow your revenue. And then the one that's usually an outliner that's becoming up 
running at the moment is carbon emissions. So for every one of these pain points that we've, I mentioned earlier, uh-huh. there should be a business case that shows measurement of success against each of those four measures. Um, and that's what you bottom up, you report the top level to the C-suite to say, this is why we're doing it. This is the measure of success of what we're doing it. And even breaking some of the pain points and the business cases down to quick wins. So ones that you can be getting on with relatively quickly that free up cash that then can pay for the more strategic type things. Yeah. So I, I think this brings up all three of you have touched on it and it brings up what I think is really sort of a, 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 uh, an entry question, right? Which is the, it's the genesis of, of digital transformation. Why, why and how does any organization decide to go through the pain, the potential pain, heartache and change of digitally transforming, of adopting DevOps or Agile? Louise, I'm pretty sure we spoke about this. Was it an Emmett Keefe Insight Ignite in Iceland? Yes, that's that you correct. were at. I I was there with you, and I remember talking to you about this. You know, Evelyn, in your day, you know, someone like Mark might go to a Forrester conference and come back and say, you know, wow, Evelyn Orlick from Forrester just presented this thing, this presentation study on the benefits of digital transformation and DevOps adoption. And God darn it, she described us to the T we, we really need to do that here. And, and maybe that worked then, right? Seven years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know if that's the genesis of digital transformation today. I think a lot of time digital transformation today does start with technical champions lower down, whispering in Mark's ear, man, we, 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 could, we could, you know, if we were doing DevOps or Agile or whatever, you know, we, we can really change. We can really make better customer uh, experiences. We can give customers what they want. We can do it better, cheaper, faster. You know, Alan, then, I, I, think ahead, we have a, I think we have a chasm that we have to cross, and that is DevOps can be sort of a vanity project for the IT or the development organization, right? It can be a purely self-interest you know, we're doing, we're doing what we do better, which is, you know, always a good thing, but, and at the end of the day, does it move the needle for the business? You have to be able to translate that into the, what Evelyn, I think said was the why. Uh, Louise also said the why, but what is the real benefit we're trying to get out of it? And when you have a purpose for doing it, now you have metrics you can put around that. Uh, is it is it revenue? Is it competitiveness? Is it responsiveness to the market? Is it changing customer expectations and behaviors? What is it? That's truly then then the development of the IT organization knows that they're making a difference. Otherwise, how do you know whether you should be working on more releases per hour per day, or you should be working on just fixing the backlog? How do you know? You don't, other than just sort of your own internal. Uh, metrics. And I guess it kind of reminds me of that phrase of the, uh, was a belly button gazing, right? You're sort of looking at yourself and, and what you think is important. But I think that connection, you have to cross that chasm, whether the business is coming to you or you have an idea of what we can do better and how it might help. And let's then make that connection. But that's my point. Like someone like Mark, Mark, what does it take to push you over the edge? 
and say, God darn it, we got to do this. That's a good point. We're committed. So just, yeah, let me, let me tackle that one in a second. You know, what, one thing that's funny about this whole kind of line of conversation is, of course, in the world that I live in out here, people, there's no question about doing it. It's like, who is the most or more sophisticated? So in the war for talent, you know, that same 500 person organization I referenced, might, they might look at each other and say, like, who do we know at Google or Facebook, you know, in their engineering group? Like, we've got to, like, we know we should be doing this better. We've kind of played around with the concept. We've, we've hired some lower level people who seems like you guys are just, you know, behind the times here. So we need some real leadership in Syria. So anyway, I mean, that's the other <clears throat> side of the, of the, the coin in, in, in parts of the country where maybe it's like an accepted practice. There's almost a competition to be the most sophisticated or get the most benefit. But the spark plug, the, you know, the question you've asked, I'm thinking about some second tier markets and I really hate to call out, you know, specific locales, but what the hell, um, <laughs> you know, as a, as a consultant, you can talk like that. So, um, sure. you know, if you're like in a place like St. Louis and you're in an organization that just the whole, has done the business the same way forever, all the IT management, all the technical management has come up through the ranks, kind of doing things the old fashioned way, quarterly releases and, you know, they don't keep the same kind of metrics that you would in a DevOps environment. Um, you know, to blow that place, a place like that up, uh, I, there'd have to be some kind of a competitive imperative. Um, or, or, you know, the white knight does show up from time to time, right? So, so if you think about it, sometimes when the new CPO or the CTO comes in, and I've experienced this in my own career, you know, there'll be a cause or an initiative that I promoted <laughs> during my entire tenure the new guy or gal comes in and they get it done like in a year. And I think like, what the heck happened here? Um, there was one company where I was trying to get them off of Microsoft Dynamics is gonna get them on the Salesforce. There's another company I was trying to get production systems up into the cloud. And I, we did every kind of seed activity you can imagine. We sent the cloud one, we sent people up to Redmond for some AWS instruction. We did some prototyping, et cetera. New CIO comes in and says, we're going to the cloud. 12 months later, like half the production systems are in the cloud. How did that happen? So, so sometimes the change at the top, which gets us back to where this kind of started, maybe that is the seminal spark plug. And especially if that person's been brought in because there's a broader C-level recognition that we're not keeping up with the times. You know, we need to make some kind of change. So you have that broader support. When people start to whine, you know, they, they know that the whining is not going to get them out of a, the change that's about to come. But for just self-generated change for people that have, yeah, I, I, then I go back to, um, you know, Mitch, what you said, you know, then you can always have a vanity project, which is, you know, you can point to as, as evolutionary, like we've got a small group, they're, they're putting their toe in the water, they're doing some interesting things. So we are keeping up with the times, but then you just don't get the scale benefits, you know, at the end of the day. I think there was... To, just to add to something um, to what Mark said, um, as the ecosystem of our organizations has expanded, right? We have um, to think of the, the well, the travel industry doesn't exist at this point in time, but think of maybe manufacturing, right? Um, in the area where I am in, I'm in Stuttgart, I, we have large car manufacturers and they're connected to Bush and others, and the ecosystem is rather broad. And these folks at all levels are collaborating, connecting, 
not as much now with, with where we are, but they have exchanged thoughts and ideas, they go to events and they learn from each other at all the different levels. And so I think there is that, as Mark said, to some extent, there is this, this not really a competition, but the exchange of ideas, which has brought additional uh, uh, adoption of DevOps at all levels, right? So if I am the C-level uh, of Bosch and I go to a uh, autonomic car driving event and I meet the CF, uh, C-level uh, of the CF industry down in Friedrichshafen, and they're telling me about, wow, we really improved our uh, reliability scores, and we have really uh, punched up our cadence around the product X, Y, and Z. I go back and I say to my team, hey, I just met this team over there. They're doing something fantastic. Can we start? It's that spark, which to some extent um, happens to cross over in this ecosystem as we start to be much more connected and dependent. I think that's one point. The other one is if you look at the individuals who are today in IT, they don't look like this anymore. I'm a COBOL, Pascal, uh, HP 3000, JCL person. That's when I grew up. That's my heritage in operations. Mm -hmm. The guys and the girls today in these teams, they are completely different. They are you know, they want Python, they want, they do, they want to do sexy things, they want to do fun things, they want to, they want to sh show what they can do. And they're looking for inspirations from their leaders as well. And they want to see that they can make a difference. I think that is, that is also from a cultural perspective, I think, uh, of course, it's important, but I think that's also a driving force. And, and that's not just the individual contributors, but also the consultants and the C-levels who are, I call them the flip-flop wearing chino looking guys who go to the conferences, right? Mitch, we've seen them. I'm like, oh, I think I'm overdressed with my suit. That's the people who actually make DevOps happen and they want to have fun. They want to do things. They, they don't want to do JCL and things like I did in a boring ops group, uh, dying of boredom. You know, I think you're talking about a couple of things, Evelyn. One is the attracting talent, right? You, if this, the people have more selection, you know, economic conditions aside, more selectivity about the kind of work that they want to do, the companies that they, that they want to work for. There's also just how do you learn to develop software? If DevOps is what you're coming into, a, a way of doing developing software, you kind of you're looking for organizations and you expect that that approach. So you're, you're, I think your your point is right on. Is it's also the audience of the people who are going to be the adopters, or the embracers, or the challenge, the champions of doing this. So th that that all makes a big difference. The the, the Command from on high, as Mark was talking about, you know, the tablets, you know, th there's an expression uh, for that. This too shall pass, right? <laughs> That's the reaction usually of those kinds of initiatives. You have to have adoption. And I think you spoke to that really well. So I tell you, look, if you're a Silicon Valley cool kid or you work at one of these organizations where flip flops and jeans are the rule and then you you know, you do the hair thing and all of that. I don't do that so well anymore. Um, you know, that's cool. But Louise, I, you know, you, you've done transformations at what we may think of as large, stodgy financial organizations, right? And, and they're not Silicon Valley based and they're not a jeans and flip-flop culture. So how, how does it play there? 
Um, well, Amy, actually, it's funny you were talking about flip-flops, high-fives and cappuccino. Um, I worked in government, actually, for a little while um, in the tax authority, and that was a time when the um, government was setting up its um, group digital or, or global digital um, authority. And everybody in the government all of a sudden they changed from suits to wearing flip-flops and, and high-fives and cappuccinos. And it was like a world away from um, the starchy government. But anyway, moving on to uh, the financial services. Yeah, I mean, financial services, I, I've, I've been lucky enough actually to do transformation in some legacy financial services. I mean, the big boys like the HSBCs, for example, which is complex. It's like turning the Titanic around. And I've often written articles around, it's like moving debt chairs around. The reason why is I say that is because automation is, is the way forward. You know, we, we talk about automation in many, many guises. Um, automation takes out people, it takes out transactional type activities. Um, but the legacy banks are, are just struggle to do it. So I say it's like moving the debt chairs around Titanic because of the legacy systems they've got. Transformation, they talk about it. They move things around, but nothing real and concrete actually comes out of the transformation, which is really sad because, you know, there's great opportunities there in the legacy banks. And on the other side of the fence, I'm working currently with a, a, a contender bank, a digital bank, which is new. It's new. It's fresh. It's green. It's almost as green as your screen there, Alan. Um, it's a greenfield site. And, and it's, it's great to be able to take the whole end to end customer journey and, and see it digitalized. And how quickly you can change and transform and, and you know, developing um, and changing technology with that suite that's end, in end to end. It's just awesome to be able to see how quickly it happens, whereas the legacy banks are still thinking about planning it, talking about it, cogitating over it when the, when the small guys are, are out with the new technology. And one of the things that I'm often transforming when I do, whenever I do my transformation, it's not transformation is for Christmas, it's for life in my mindset. So it's around continuously thinking about the innovation and it's about encouraging these legacy banks to have innovation departments that are constantly thinking about the new technology that's out there to take them ahead of their competitors. So like these digital banks, you know, if the legacy banks are doing this, but actually seeing a way of making it happen quickly. And I think that that's the problem that they're constantly battling yeah. the bureaucratic slowness of moving Titanic. Yeah. So, so clearly the kind of organization you're at determines or will have a huge impact on this. Guys, we're, we're coming on the backside of our time limit here. I wanted to talk a little bit about, okay, we've made, we've made the decision. We are, we are moving forward with our transformation. We are adopting DevOps and Agile and, and you know, these, these new, new ways. How, how at the sea level... Do we, short of coming down from the mountain with the two tablets in God's own writing, how do we, you know, translate that to the troops? How do we, how do we affect organ, you know, the organization that, you know, it's not, this isn't some passing fancy of the CIO and it's not going to pass, you know, uh, in the next quarter. This is really the way we're doing it. How do you how do you make that change, you know, down the ranks, get people adopting as champions and, and being successful with it? Mark? Um, you know, it's, it's not unlike uh, 
an initiative around, around security. It, when you talk about cultural change within an organization, you know, I think leaders don't always appreciate what a huge impact they have on the people that they lead. You know, people take cues in the way you use your time, the things that you show interest in, um, things you follow up on. Yeah, I mean, your time management sends tons of signals to the organization. And some of the operational metrics that I, I poo-pooed before as being of no interest whatsoever to people outside the technical areas, you know, are a great way to kind of keep score. You go back to what Evelyn said. So if there's a sense like we're making progress and some of those celebrations can be really important. Um, I'll just leave you with a thought. I mean, I, I worked with a guy several years ago who used to say, he said, what interests my boss fascinates me. And, you know, if, as long as there's a, some sustained, in, sustained interest, and to go back to Alan, what you said before, I didn't just come back from the Forrester meeting all jazzed up. And then like two months later, I go to a Gartner meeting and now I'm on a whole different tangent. Now I think it's, you know, it's automation. We got to get our pay robots in here. That's going like, to uh -huh. blow the business up. And then, then people in the trenches are like, this too shall pass. He'll go to another meeting, you know, but I'm not going to get my- And come back with some other toy, yeah. He's some crazy thing. Yeah, I used to feel it was whatever was the last book I read, right? That that was that was the next greatest thing to me, right? Because I just read that book. But Evelyn, fundamentally, and this is something right the DevOps Institute is is deeply ingrained in, and it also becomes a question of how do we upskill our workforce? How do we how do we prepare? Our, do we just go out and hire new people? That's hard. Do yeah. we upskill our existing people for this? What? You know, at the sea level, how do we how do we affect that? Yeah. So, from our research at the DevOps Institute, we know that most organizations are actually preferring to leverage their existing uh, resources to train them, right, and to upskill them. Now, upskilling, of course, has uh, its challenges because you don't just upskill around processes of learning a new way of doing continuous del delivery or it, it's not just about upskilling new technical skills, it's also about human skills. So um, that's, I think, the challenge. Uh, a lot of organizations are biting, uh, you know, biting themselves into that and, or, or pushing themselves uh, or actually locking themselves into the corner. They think, ah, yeah, let's give them AWS training. Let's let them understand what the latest uh, DevOps platform is. Uh, and give them some language skills around whatever the latest hotshot uh, technology programming language is. But it's also soft skills or human skills, which are necessary. People need to understand how to work empathetic, how to collaborate, how to connect, how to cross functional borders, how to understand when a security individual tells me something. So, you know, having skills around these different categories is important. And there is investment needed. It is we see that unfortunately 7% of survey participants we had last year said that they have no idea what their upskilling programs are. We know 37% of these uh, individuals, a very large sample size of almost 1200, said that um, we don't have a program in upskilling and the rest of them either are planning one or have one. So that's really unfortunately poor and not enough. So anybody listening in? Get ready to upskill your people, start thinking about training, start thinking about exchanging uh, knowledge and, and allowing them to learn, give time. I, for myself, and we're doing that at the DevOps Institute a little more, and our CEO does that a little as well. I call Friday my learning day. And 
it is it doesn't matter what happens unless the ceo wants me there friday is my learning day i learned french i learned about design thinking and i'm learning about metrics that's it and you we all have to do that it's very important agreed louise you go in as a consultant what you know in terms of the skill level of the of the workforce do you try to upskill them? Do you supplement it with fresh talent? It's hard. I mean, getting fresh talent in, Mark, you know, in the Valley, they cut each other's throats for, you know, for this. How, how do you do that? I mean, it's an interesting thing because you, you're trying to fly an aircraft while changing the engine in some in yeah. some case. And it's the same people transform are the same people that need to run and drive the aircraft and also if you brought in fresh too much fresh talent then you would probably put the nose of the joint of the people that are supposed to be helping you run the process anyway so the way I've done it is I've gone in and we've identified some highly skilled people that know the processes really well and then supplement them with some more transactional process mappers and people like that so that those people that run the processes can also see things like how do they um, do the process mapping? How do they identify the pain points? How do they convert it into business cases? How do they use it and then convert it into technology? So on that journey, the people that are running their processes are also being upskilled at the same time into continuous improvement and, and transformation. Um, but I say that there's also, it's not about upskilling necessarily on all sorts of things, because as technology is changing, there's a less the need for upskilling because a lot of technology is self-serve type technology now a lot of the rpa tooling now people can do it like they learn excel like they learn you know word and things like that so the, the upskilling like it used to be about you know spending months and months you know programming all that type of thing there's less, less the need for that it's more about the upskilling in terms of continuous improvement and it's a cultural change i think somebody mentioned earlier so it is going in and using the resources that are there upskilling those people and slightly supplementing them and doing hands-on job training. Excellent. Mark, Mitchell, I'm going to give you each a chance to kind of close it out here. And then uh, I think we're about out of time. Mark, final thoughts? Well, let me just make a final comment, you know, on the, um, along the lines of, of this last topic. And I've been through many of these reskilling things and, and seeding that group with um, new talent, I think is essential. I mean, if somebody came into me and said, I don't know, we're going to like, we're going to go to DevOps and we're going to bring, you can have consultant money. The consultants will come in. They'll be here 90 days, 120 days. I mean, this is one of the, this is an acquired skill. It's almost an art form, you know, at its finest. And the devil is in the details. And the day the consultants leave, you know, everybody's left to their own devices. And it'd be just like saying, well, let's just like shut down the data center and move everything in the data center up onto AWS. And we'll get some AWS consulting in here. And then they'll leave after 90 days and you guys run all the production systems up there, you know, in that whole new environment after 90 days of familiarization. I don't think too many companies would take that kind of a risk. So, so I think people get so carried away with thinking that, you know, reskilling can be effective, that people will come to embrace it. And, and I, again, I hate to say this, but in, in my personal experience, if you reskill population of people, 20% will be superstars, 20% won't get it. And 60% will be good enough. But if one of the 60% left, you'd recruit somebody in with a higher skill level than the person that left. So they, you know, they make forward progress. And I'm not denigrating, you know, people's commitment to uh, new, new things. But you've got to bring in that fresh talent that's been there and done that. They kind of know what it's, 
they know what it's supposed to look like, right? And they can look around a corner and they can see the big fuzzy um, hole in the, in the road that we're all gonna like fall into here in the next two months. So that's my... Mitchell, you want to bring it home? Yeah, I'd like to just wrap with the human element, maybe from a little different perspective. You know, change, people react to change in different ways. You know, your advocates, great, they're all about it. Your resistors, love them, because you can actually work on that. You can help. You can, you can help bring them along. It's that passive, unspoken middle ground the folks that are waiting to see before I commit myself, I'm not going to put myself, my job, my career at risk for this next thing. I don't know if I can do it. And the, the idea of bringing people in, I think one of the main purposes is, is to show the team A, it can be done and B, they can learn it. So it isn't bring the consultants in for 30 days, hand over what they did. And everybody goes, now, what do I do? Right? So it, it's, I think if you can de-risk, address the fear of, of what this means that you're going to be able to do it. And we're going to stick with you to help you get there, help everybody get there. And if there's some folks that choose not to go along the journey, that's okay too, but we're all in this together. I think you've got to address the human element from a very personal, how does each person feel about this and whether they're signed on to do it. And that's going to guide your success. That's been my experience. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're about out of time. Mark, Evelyn, Louise, and of course, Mitchell, thanks for joining us on this episode of DevOps Unbound. Many thanks to our friends at Tricentis for their sponsorship. Uh, until next time, this is Alan Schimmel for DevOps Unbound. Uh, be well, be safe, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.